0: Hey everyone, welcome back to The Unlikely Pastor Wife. I'm Allison Moore, your host. I'm so glad you are joining us today for this episode. Today I'm so excited because I am interviewing my friend Casey Gilboy. She is a fellow pastor's wife and we're going to talk about how we met, kind of our history and expectations of pastor's wives. So I hope you enjoy it. Let's go. Hey, everyone. I am so glad that you are joining me today for The Unlikely Pastor Wife. I have my friend, Casey Gilboy, today. She is a fellow pastor wife. um, And, Casey, let's talk about how we even know each other because it's so weird. (laughs) I know, right? (laughs) Yeah, go for it. (laughs) Well, we
1: tell our kids to not make friends on the internet, but we can.
0: (laughs) (laughs) It's true. We only know each other through the internet. It's so weird.
1: We met in a pastors wife group for our denomination like 7 years ago, is that right?
0: Oh, I think it was longer, maybe 10.
1: Okay. Wow, I'm uh, time is flying. Yeah, 10 years. Wow.
0: I think I think it was it maybe it's 7, but it's been a really I want to say it was before I had my son and my son's 10 or maybe right after. No, cuz I don't I think I was at we were in Springfield. I don't remember. It doesn't matter. But oh, you know been, what? I what? remember
1: you oh. were, you were a senior pastor's wife in California and you were the worship leader. And that's why I connected with you because I was also the worship leader and senior pastor's wife.
0: Okay. So it hasn't quite been 10 years then. Okay. Cause Ryson was born a little after we moved there. Okay. So within seven to 10 years, we've known each other. And I love what you said about like, we don't want our kids making friends with strangers on the internet, but we can. <laughs>
1: because we know we have stranger stranger danger and we know when something's a red flag and you <laughs> were not a red flag.
0: Good. Well, that's good. I'm glad I'm not a red flag. You weren't either. So, oh, it's so funny, but yeah, that's how we met. We kind of just met through um just sharing joys and struggles and praying for each other. It was a big group at that time and that group has dwindled dramatically since um it started, but it was just a really great place to be. So that's kind of how we met. But I feel like I know you because we've kept in contact over the years through Instagram and Facebook. And it is crazy how social media can make you really feel like you know somebody. Um, but we've shared our struggles and we've gone through a lot of similar things. And that's kind of why I wanted to have you on the podcast today. Um, so tell everyone a little about yourself, your family, your career in ministry.
1: All right. Well, I'll give the short version. Okay. Uh, Everyone has their short and long version, right? Mm -hmm. (laughs) The short version is, is um, I was called to ministry at 11 years of age at a kid's camp for my um, church denomination. denomination. Their church kids camps were like huge. Like they, I feel like sometimes people just send kids to kids ministry like sing a song uh color the stage by no like our denomination and my church really took kids ministry seriously and they would just not only would they like just teach you deep biblical truths but they'd be like maybe you're called to ministry you know let let's let's spend some time with god here at the altar and ask him i never felt pressured by any means But at 11, I was called, um, I actually felt called to be a missionary. So that set my course for life. I went to Bible college to be a missionary. I went on every missions trip possible with my youth group growing up, got a missions degree, met my husband at that college, and we thought we were going to be missionaries right away, but God called us to be youth pastors. So that set me on the path of a pastor's wife that I never dreamed or wanted <laughs> right i hear that i hear it <laughs> so you know we've we've been in youth ministry um then we did serve overseas as missionaries but our we were also working for an, um, an expat church in a muslim country in charge of the youth group so even though we were doing missions we were still pastoring and then we moved back to the states because we had visa issues and could no longer stay overseas and Basically had to give up that dream of being missionaries and realizing God was calling us to pastor in America And so we've been senior pastors in America now for 10 years
0: Okay, and what was the first church you guys where was it at? What was the first church you guys were at?
1: We actually were first youth pastors at the church where my husband grew up. So everyone was so happy to have him come back
0: Oh, I'm sure and then you guys moved to where you're at
1: now So we were youth pastors, and then we moved overseas. Then we came back, and we lived in Wisconsin, and now we're in Utah. Okay.
0: I knew you were in Utah. And how long have you guys been there? And I know your husband um, is the senior pastor there. So how long have you guys been in Utah?
1: We have been here five years now this week. This is our five-year anniversary in Utah. Yay!
0: Wow. I remember when we were in California, and I, I I think I saw this on my Facebook memories like a couple months ago, but I remember celebrating five years because I've heard that after five years, you really start to see the fruit of your ministry. Have you found that to be true, or are you just kind of waiting for that moment to happen? <laughs>
1: Oh, yeah. I mean, and you throw in COVID. Um, Actually, to be honest, COVID was in a lot of ways really good for our church. But yes, finally, at five years, I would say we're seeing fruit where we know who our team is, people who didn't really um, connect with us or like our vision moved on, which is I've learned very normal. You know, it takes a couple of years to to get your tribe and your team and people, you know, are. Attracted to our personality types, our age, our experience, and I would say, finally, now we are seeing fruit that I so longed for the yeah. past five years.
0: <laughs> right, right. And now, are you in? Um, are you in a hev- heavily Mormon area or not?
1: Yeah, Utah okay. is predominantly Mormon, and all okay. my relatives are Mormon, and my parents and my brother and I are the only ones. Minus a few trickled here and there that aren't LDS anymore.
0: Okay, interesting. All right, so did you grow up in the LDS church?
1: No, my parents did. Um, They got saved right when I was born. And so I was basically born into the Assembly of God church as a baby. Like I was joke. I was born in the pew, basically. That's all I've I've ever known. But they didn't. They didn't come to know the Lord um, and decide to follow him and choose a a Bible-based church rather than a Mormon church when they were in their mid twenties.
0: Okay. Awesome. They set a totally different trajectory for their family. That's really incredible. So, yeah. um, well, I, I wanted to talk to you cause you and I have talked a lot about over the years about pastor wife expectations and what that looks like, um, in, in churches as, as a youth pastor's wife or as a missionary or as a senior pastor's wife. So I kind of just want to like unpack, I hate that word. It's so cliche now let's unpack it but I, there are a lot of people who listen to this podcast that are not in ministry. And so I want this particular episode to be helpful to people who are in ministry, but also for people not in ministry to see what it's like to be a pastor's wife and sometimes the expectations that are upon us and how we navigate those with grace, (laughs) Yeah, you know, and so that they can kind of get a sense of what it's like for their, you know, their pastor's wives uh, at church. So I will just start by saying, do you feel like ministry may be the only profession where the wife is considered a a part of it, but is not usually paid?
1: (laughs) Yes. And that has taken me all 16 years of marriage and in ministry to finally realize that. Literally one day I woke up and I was like, Nobody expects the doctor's wife to volunteer right. in the office. No one expects the <laughs> teacher's wife to come in like, oh my goodness, this is totally a two-for-one deal here. <laughs> yeah,
0: absolutely. I, I told Ryan that last night. I actually used the doctor because I was writing up notes for tonight's podcast. And I was like, Ryan, this is the only profession I think that your wife or the spouse of the pastor, because you know we want to be inclusive here, um, is basically at times an unpaid assistant. And there's like that expectation sometimes. So when you, when you have interviewed for pastoral positions, what have been some of the questions they've asked you in the interviews? Because they're not just interviewing your husband or your wife, but in your case, your husband, they're also interviewing you. So have you ever gotten questions about that?
1: To be honest, the first few positions we received, I feel like, um, More my husband was interviewed, which didn't matter to me that much because I was fine with that. But this position here in Utah, I loved how they interviewed me. They really cared about my personality. And it turns out that the search committee was looking for my personality. And I... You know, sometimes as a pastor's wife, you want to put your, your best face forward in an interview, but I'm like, I'm just going to tell them the truth. I'm a homeschool mom. I I can do all the things, but I don't really want to. I I literally can. I can preach. I can teach. I can lead worship. I can play a couple instruments, but I'd rather be a supportive role. And that's what they wanted. And they were so happy.
0: Awesome. That's amazing. I remember one time, we interviewed somewhere and I don't remember where it was, but they looked at me and they're like, so what do you do, Allison? <laughs> like, <laughs> I don't, I mean, like you, I lead worship, I sing. Um, but I never really wanted that pressure, especially as I got older and our ki- we were having kids. I was like, my focus is not necessarily where I can, you know, be a lead at the church. My focus is at home. And then I just wanted to be, like a church member and have the same expectations that they would have for a church member. Like I want to serve, but I may not be there every week, or I may, you know, I, I may not, um, lead the Bible study like most, like some pastor's wives do, you know? Um, so it was just a very weird, I just remember that. I remember specifically that interview being like, Hmm, what are the expectations, (laughs) the unsaid expectations, and I think as I got older and probably just more confident in who I am, um, I was able to just say like, listen, listen, Linda, um, <laughs> this is <laughs> like, don't expect that from me. Cause that's not what I'm, that's not in a nice way. Obviously I would say it, but, um, having a little more like boundaries and, st- and stuff like that. Um, so yeah. I'm glad that you felt that in this, in this position. So you don't feel the pressure necessarily where you're at now to do all the things
1: Well, the one element that I was going to bring up that made our situation a little different was in this position in Utah and our last one in Wisconsin, we were doing a church revitalization, which means a church has had some kind of conflict, some kind of problem, and they have lost a bunch of members and they need you to rebuild it and bring it back to life, And which has kind of become the theme of our ministry because we kind of see how almost every position we've been in, except one has been like this. So God must really trust us with helping heal and rebuild. Even if I fight it, it's kind of just, we figured out that's what he wants us to do. He must think we're good at it or something. So, you know, if you're going to rebuild something, it's all hands on deck. You're, you're, you're working really hard until you can finally find someone to pass the baton off to. And so even though, I think they were happy that my personality was not pushy, not bossy, that I just want to be supportive, but they also needed help rebuilding the church. So any area that I could help in basically they needed me. And so I had to learn what boundaries to put up and say, Hey, this is, this is too much. And if this ministry isn't built up yet, or there's no one to run it, we need to let either someone else try, or it needs to just die for a while. And I, I can't do it all. And so I think i I did a little too much at first because I was excited to get the church back up. But lately, I've really pulled back, and we've just really been delegating and training people to take those spots so that I'm not running as many things as I was. And yes, people probably wish I was, but
0: mm-hmm.
1: with a trainer, with a leader, when you hand off the baton, it won't look the same. You know, mm-hmm. this person, it, you know, I've had basically 20 years of ministry experience, these people are just starting out. So it might not be exactly how I did it, but let's give them a chance because I'm going to burn out if you don't
0: let someone Absolutely. else. Do it. Absolutely. Your story parallels ours a lot. When we went to California, it was, it was not called a church revitalization, but it basically was, I think there was, I'd have to ask my husband. I think there was like 60 members, 70, 75, 80 people at the church um, and we were, we were coming in and I was super excited about it and I learned very quickly. I cannot be all things. I think I started up women's Bible study. And after the, f- like the first season of that, I think it was like a three month thing. I told her, and I'm like, I'm not doing that again. That is not my gifting. <laughs> it <laughs> <laughs> sounds terrible, but it was like, I know that that was in a, like, people wanted that for me. Like, are you going to do women's Bible study? And I did. Mm-hmm. And then I realized like halfway into it, I'm like, this is not what I'm passionate about. I'll attend, but I'm not, this is not my thing to like do. And so I, I told the people who won't really wanted that. I'm like, you know, you kind of have a vision for this. Why don't you run it? Like, why don't you do it? You're equipped to do it. Um, I will support you in that, but I'm not going to run that anymore. And so, um, I, I love that you've kind of learned boundaries. Cause I think that is really important when you're in ministry and especially when you care about the church and you care about the church, church health and you want it to grow. Um, I felt, I don't know if you felt this way, but I just felt like a lot of pressure. Like we want to make this happen. We want to do well for these people. And then, you know, after a while you're like, okay, we got to like, let that go a little bit and let these people do what they like, step into the ministry roles that we don't necessarily need to do all the time. So um, my question for you is who, who cares for the pastor's wife? Do you have anyone in your church who you feel, has your back and like really cares for your heart and, and the role that you play in the ministry?
1: Oh man, I'm going to cry. Um, Ah. finally, finally for a long, it's been a long time that I haven't had that. And I finally can say I do. And I think a huge part of that is because I went through intense counseling starting during COVID. Um, I was like, it's perfect time. Let's start. I need to see a counselor and talk about a lot of my burnout and stress from being a pastor's wife. And through that, I she gave me the tools my counselor did, how to set boundaries, how to know what God's really calling me to do, how to attract healthy friends. Because as a pastor's wife, we want to be there for everyone. And people can take up all of our time and if we're not careful we're not allowing people who are pouring into us into our time Mm -hmm. and we're giving all our time to the people who need help because that's you know what we do as pastors wise we reach out but i started putting boundaries in my life saying i will pour out to others but i'm gonna make time in my life for the people that are emotionally healthy Mm -hmm. who are kind to me and who actually care about me and because because i stopped playing the victim and always let was the doormat and just let everyone do what they wanted. Once I started standing up for myself and making time for me and healthy friends, I started attracting and growing in relationship with these amazing women who are now there for me. Finally.
0: (laughs) I'm so glad to hear that because I, I have struggled probably within the last 10 years, just having close friends in church. I don't think I've had close friends in the church. I, I don't think I did in California, except for one, maybe one or two, um, that really had you know, me and Ryan's back. And now even since we moved to Arizona, I think sometimes I just put up a really big wall and I don't have a lot of close friends in, in the church. Um, Because honestly, it's for me, and I don't know if this is how it's been for you, but you know, I need people who will keep confidences and um, not hold me to a higher standard than themselves sometimes, you know what I mean? And um, so that's been hard for me. So I'm glad that you have found some women in the church that you trust and um, that you've kind of let in for me. I just, I have walls and it's something I'm working on is letting people in. Um, so you have people that you can confide in and that aren't going to ruin your ministry if you can find it, confide in them.
1: Yes. And I'm also careful about having friends that are out of state or who aren't at my church or who live somewhere else. And I confide in them with the really hard, deep church issues that I can't tell my church friends because I can't tell them things that might ruin a reputation of another church member, or I can't tell them any marriage issues or issues with my kids because I need to yeah. protect their reputation and their secrets. And so I've learned to have those healthy friends at church. And then I go to the other friends for those other issues and it takes time. It's we're all busy, right? Yeah. I, make my t- I make time for my friends. I'm going to say that right now. That is something I'm really good at. And if someone is my friend They are blessed because I will make time for them, just like I'm making time for this podcast because relationships are so important to me. And I think some pastor's wives, they just put themselves on the back burner and they never make time for friendship. And that would be my encouragement is the only one keeping you from that is yourself. You have to schedule it in. Yeah, it's hard to have time for friends, but it's so worth it. It takes years to build that bond and that trust. But then once it's there, they've got your back. They know you and they're the kind of friend you can call at 3 a.m., for a problem and be there, you know?
0: Yeah, I have, I do have some friends like that out of state because that, I mean, that is the thing. It's hard when you, when your husband is the pastor um, and they're up there preaching the word of God, it's hard to go to a friend in the church and be like, he really ticked me off this week. Because <laughs> know. You know I mean? <laughs> he's like speaking to them as a congregant and then you're like, oh my gosh, he made me so mad. So I have been... <laughs> I have those friends that, uh, like you said, are out of state, don't go to our church that I can have that conversation with. So I have that outlet. And I think that's something that as pastor's wives, we have to find, um, if you don't have that again, like you said, encouragement, find those people maybe outside of the church that you can have those really deep conversations with that you can't necessarily tell a congregant just because, you know, the pastor is still the head of that congregation and you don't want to taint their view of your husband. So, exactly. or your spouse, you know, whatever. So, um, well, okay. So do you ever feel like you live in a fishbowl? Let's talk about that. And let's talk about the jeans <laughs> from this past weekend. Tell everybody the jeans story.
1: <laughs> oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. Okay. Well, um, yes, I do feel like I live in a fishbowl. Um, Uh, As a pastor's wife and worship team member, I am on stage pretty much every single Sunday. And already as a woman, you wake up some days and you feel ugly, you feel frumpy, you feel not yourself. But as a pastor's wife, no matter how we feel on Sunday, we still have to put on the clothes, even if we feel bloated, even if we don't feel pretty, and know that we're going to stand on stage and someone might notice that, you know, like sometimes we do look sick or sometimes we do feel bloated and you just have to put yourself out there and know everyone's going to see how I look today or see this flaw and still be willing to give your all, worship the Lord, preach, knowing that you might be judged for what is on your body. And Mm. I really struggle with that anyway, because I've always been, because we grew up with kind of the toxic 90s purity culture movement where immodesty has been so nailed into my brain that if anything feels anything close to immodest, just I just inside my heart, I just feel like I'm the worst person in the world that I have just sinned horribly. What a horrible sinner you are. And, And I wear very frumpy clothes, which works for the styles right now. They're very flowy homeless Um, chic
0: we call it homeless chic right
1: oh my goodness homeless (laughs) chic. i'm gonna use that i'm gonna use that so just to give you that background i'm very aware of modesty and i i specifically pick clothes to wear on sunday that will not accentuate my curves that will not draw attention to myself i just want to look um relevant so that who someone sees me on stage they can they can think I I can identify with that person yeah. and the the thing that this generation so anyone that's about 35 and younger they don't dress up for church on Sunday they don't dress fancy even if you go to a wedding or a funeral people just don't have those items in their closet and so if they feel like they have to dress fancy on Sunday, I've heard people say, I didn't come because I didn't. I don't have anything fancy to wear. But so we want people to walk in as a new believer or a young person um, or a visitor and say, well, they're dressed just like me. I could come to this church. And it just brings down the barriers and the walls. And so I found this pair of jeans online that had some rips in them, and I thought, perfect. The young, Uh young adults and the young people are going to look at this and say, she's cool. And (laughs) you think I want to spend $30? I want to spend $30 on something that's ripped a bunch? Like you think that's fun for me? Like, I bought those jeans specifically to be relevant. And I was so excited to wear them because I was hoping that it would just make someone feel like they are welcomed and that they're accepted. And I, I wore them last Sunday. This is very fresh, as Allison knows. Mm-hmm. And I had a ton of young people come up to me after church like, I love your outfit. How cool are you? Again, do I really care that they think I'm cool? No, but I want this younger generation to be able to identify with strong Christians and say, oh, I could be like that. If you can wear everyday clothes and, and sing to God and talk to God, mm-hmm. I could do that too. And there's nothing in the Bible that says, dress your best for God, wear your fanciest clothes. And I think some people almost think that's in the Bible and it's been tracked down in families. And I love to kind of push that button and be like, that's a tradition. Like, of course we want to dress, you know, I could wear a swimsuit to church, but why does (laughs) it have to be heels and dresses? And so my husband got a text from a church member saying that my ripped jeans are inappropriate and i just burst out burst out falling because if you say the word inappropriate to anyone that grew up with 90s purity culture we just feel like we failed i made someone stumble i i made someone sin i i hurt someone's heart and i just was weeping and i had to go and take a drive through the mountains and Ball for two hours wondering, did I just am I sinning by wearing these ripped jeans? And I reached out to you and three other people, and I said, and two of them were guys, and I said, Are these jeans inappropriate? If they are, I will never wear them again. May God forgive me. And every single person, including you, said, There's nothing wrong with those jeans. I think she's just, you know, having this person is having a hard time with that style of clothes, but it's putting this pressure on you that you are causing someone to sin or stumble or it's not appropriate. And just, just getting that reassurance from you and those other friends just brought me down to reality. And I had a lot of people confirm to me when I talked about it to them that, no, that's a good thing that you're trying to reach this generation. And that's very smart. Actually. I had a a young lady that I used to be do youth ministry with, and she was a teen back then. And she wrote and said, that's very wise that you are trying to reach this generation. And and so I'm still kind of healing from it and working through it. But it was very hurtful for me. And it, I said to my husband, I practiced five hours on the piano this week to play on Sunday. And that's what you come away with. Is that my inappropriate? I said, then I quit. I'm not playing piano anymore. You learn how to play piano and you wear the clothes you think are good because I'm sick of trying to please all you people. That's what I said. And my husband is like, okay, honey, I, I know you don't really want to quit. Let's just get it all out. Let's talk about it. And I'm like, I quit." if you're going to say that about me? So that's oh, my dream. Well,
0: yeah, I think it's interesting. You talk about purity culture from the nineties because it is ingrained in us and even I've walked out in, cause I lead, I lead worship. It's not every week um, at our church, which has been really great. I, I did lead worship every single week in California and I burned out. And I remember telling my husband, you have one month to find somebody else. I'm done. And he was like, okay. And we did. And God was good about it. Like bringing somebody, we had somebody like that helped me. And so we just put him in that lead role. Um, So I get those days where you're like, I would you know, I really did quit on him. <laughs> I was like, i <laughs> but at this church that we're at now, um, I will, I will ask him like, is this okay for, is this okay for the stage? Um, because I remember growing up and I was, a, I was a cheerleader in high school and mm-hmm. the month of February, I could not go to a youth group on Wednesday nights because we had basketball games and I was a basketball cheerleader. And I remember this was before the days of cell phones where you could call somebody and be like, Hey, I'm here, you know, come downstairs or come out to the parking lot. So my sister, I had to pick her up. And I remember walking upstairs to the youth room in my cheerleading uniform. And my youth pastor's wife pulled me to the side and said, don't you ever walk up here in that uniform ever again. And I was like, (gasps) I, I have to get my sister. Like, I don't, I'm not trying. I like. These people see me at school in my uniform. Like, I'm not trying to be immodest and it wasn't immodest. I'm just really picking up my sister. And that has always stuck with me, like, probably some trauma I have from that. So I'm so cautious now about what I wear on stage. And so I'll just wear, like, I have this bright pink blazer that I love. I love it. And I'm like, Ryan, do you think this is too much for, for like, for church? And he's like, no, it's fine. And no one has ever been like, that's way too much. They make fun of it because they're, they're always like, um Allison, does your ba- does your blazer need batteries? It's so bright, you know, like there's like a joke about it, but it's not immodest, but I have that ingrained in my head of like I need to make sure that what I wear on stage doesn't detract from what I'm there to do. and so I get it. I totally understand. um luckily, I've never had anybody say anything about what I've worn maybe behind my back, I don't know, but never like to my face or in a passive aggressive text to my husband. so I'm I'm glad that your husband stood up for you. And I'm glad that the people that you asked were like, no, Casey, when you told me that I was like, no, those jeans are fine. Like they were totally fine. They were cute. I couldn't even, I couldn't even believe someone had a a problem with it. But again, to people who go to church and don't know, sometimes this happens to pastor's wives. We kind of sometimes have expectations on us that most people wouldn't, wouldn't have, you know? And so we toe that line and that can be, that can be really hard. Um, yeah. how do you combat burnout? Well, I've
1: done a lot better job of it since COVID. Like I told you, because I finally started to see a counselor and that has helped me immensely. I don't need to see her anymore. She just said, you know, if you, if you need to have a like checkup session, we can, but she was just so proud of my progress and felt like we worked through so much. And she gave me the tools that I can work on it myself. I don't have to like, you know, call her, what do I do? She kind of has helped. It's like, she's kind of the voice in my head along the Holy spirit. Like this is what my counselor would say. Um, but she really helped me just really, not just figure out how to fix my problems now but how to dig deeper into my past and realize why I pushed myself to burnout. Why am I a people pleaser? Why do I always have to do everything so perfect And once I got that inner healing and realized why I was like that, I don't I'm not I'm not as burnt out as I was because I don't have a problem now being like, no, because
0: Mm -hmm.
1: something crazy about counseling. I know a lot of people think it's whack and it's crazy, but going through your childhood trauma and realizing why you are the way you are can really help you kind of like heal that spot in your heart. And then you can move on. And I don't have the same responses I used to with people. If, if someone at church would say, you need to run this Bible study, you need to do this. I'd say, oh, okay, yeah, I think I, I can. Let, let me get back to you. No, now my response is, I don't think I can handle that right now, but you could, you could do it. Yeah, And I used to be afraid. It's almost like it's changed my neurological brain waves that I don't get scared anymore. When people push my buttons, I just stand up for myself. And that was a huge thing that helped with burnout. And also my husband and I, when we first started out in ministry, we were not good about having a Sabbath day, but we quickly Mm -hmm. out and we realized, Oh, we need a day off because people don't care that they're burning you out. They don't say, Hey, by the way, just Just double checking to see if you have, you know, enough energy for me today. No, they just assume you're always on call. So for the last 10 years of being senior pastors, Monday has been our day off. And we tell our church members, if there's an emergency, please, by all means, you can call us. But if it's not an emergency, don't text, don't call, don't even send us ideas for ministry stuff. Or can we talk about this later? Mm -hmm. Just leave
0: leave us alone. (laughs) Right. No, it's good. You got to protect your peace. Um, and I feel, I feel like a lot of pastors don't have a Sabbath and that's something that Ryan actually, I, I feel like he does a really good job with it. He, his day off is Friday. Cause that's the thing too. We, Ryan has one day off a week cause we have church on Saturday and Sunday. Okay. So he goes in half a day Saturday and then a lot of the day Sunday. And so really his only true day off is Friday. And he has been like, I, I, I'm protecting that. I'm not doing anything. I'm not, Occasionally he'll golf with somebody if that's the only day because he likes that. But he's like, I want to spend time with you. If our kids are home, I want to spend time with them because he our kids don't see him a lot on the weekends because he's either getting ready for church or on Sunday he's come home for church from church and he's exhausted. And so protecting that Sabbath and really honoring that. I mean, I know for me, I did this for a while and I just turned my phone off for my Sabbath day. And it was so healing and refreshing to just have that time to be like, no, no one can contact me. If someone, if something happens, they know where we live. You know, they can get a hold of us, type of thing. But just really protecting that time is so important because as pastors, we literally can be running twenty four seven. We really can, and I exactly. know some of that too.
1: Yeah. and as you said, pastors do not get Saturday and Sunday off. So if you pick a day off. That will be your only day off, really. That's why you have to do it. Because most people, they think we probably take Saturday off and they think Sunday is a day off for us. No, Sunday is the busiest, craziest, hardest day for us. We go home and we pass out from exhaustion as if we just run a marathon. Yeah. And that doesn't count. And even pastors think that that counts. No, no, you worked that day. It's not a Sabbath for you. You have to. even though,
0: Yeah. And even though it's not eight hours sometimes of working, sometimes it is, but. Just being on and talking to people, it just, it can be, it's a joy, but it's also, you know, it's much different than sitting in a cubicle or, you know, just like doing computer work. Like you're on, you're talking to people. And for someone like my husband, who's an introvert, that just drains him emotionally. And so he comes home and just crashes. And I remember when we were in California, we only had one service on Sundays, but on Saturdays, half the day, he was just going over his message Studying. I mean, he he spent like 30 hours a week on his messages. He's very studious in that. But on Saturday, he was like going through it, combing through it, practicing it, and so even Saturday wasn't a day off, even though we didn't have service on Saturday. And so, protecting that one day off a week was so 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 important to us. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you're listening to this podcast, this episode, and you are a church member. Um, I would encourage you to honor your pastor's Sabbath. And again, unless it's emergency, you know, really just giving them that space and letting them have Sabbath to be able to just relax and decompress um, and have that time. Cause it's, if not, it's very easy to burn out really quickly, (laughs) really quickly. So exactly.
1: And, And what people don't realize is it's, it's, supernatural it's it's amazing you would think taking a day off would be detrimental and sent you back backwards but it gives you what you need to just plow through that week with clarity and vision and you can get 10 times work 10 times more of the work done by taking that day off and people think that it's going to take away from their productivity no it increases it it's amazing
0: Well, and it's so funny, because I think that's the one commandment out of the Ten Commandments that people break all the time. (laughs) Like, you're not going to murder somebody. You're not going to, you know, um, whatever. I'm like, what are the Ten Commandments? That's the first one I remember. Um, But (laughs) the Sabbath, (laughs) the most extreme. Don't murder anybody. Okay. Um, but The Sabbath is so easy to just forget about, but we forget that that, that is a commandment from God. He, God himself took a Sabbath on the seventh day. He rested. So whatever seventh day you want to choose, you know, some people are very legalistic about it and that's totally fine. Um, but you got to have that day because even God almighty creator of the universe worked for six days and then took that seventh day off. I mean, frankly, I wish we could have more days off, but you know, it is <laughs> this. So, um, We can talk about vacation at another podcast, but I'm glad that you guys have that. And um, it's important to you. Um, I don't want to end this being negative. So I hope this wasn't negative, but I want to know what, what have you found the benefits of being in ministry and being, I would say you're even a pastor, Casey. I mean, Mm -hmm. you are a worship pastor and you're not just the pastor's wife. So what, what, what are some benefits that you have found being in ministry and things that you love about it?
1: Definitely. That's a great question. I think being able to see people's lives change right before your eyes, having a front row seat to people, growing spiritually, healing their marriage, working on childhood trauma, learning how to be healthy human beings, learning how to grow in Christ, learning their giftings, how to outreach to others and to use their talents is probably the most amazing thing for us, that we that God would just, we just feel so honored that God would allow us to be a part of people's journey, just to help them. And and I know that sometimes as pastors we get discouraged because you pour into people and you don't know who. It's like the parable of the seeds. You don't know which seeds are going to get choked out. You don't know which seeds are going to be taken by a bird. But that's up to God and we just have to love people and someone could turn into your best friend and someone could turn into Judas who will try Mm -hmm. to stab you on the back and try to destroy you. But you don't, you don't really know who, which one they're going to be. And you could be opening up a package of the greatest friend of your life and seeing an amazing story unfold, but you have to be willing to give of yourself and try Mm -hmm. and see how God will use you in their lives. And I just, I just, whenever I struggle and I have a bad day as a pastor's wife, which is a lot, I just close my eyes and think of heaven. And I think, first of all, seeing Jesus and having him say, Well done, good and faithful servant. You helped so many people just find me. To me, that's the ultimate of life. And then, two, to see everyone in heaven. And to have them maybe say, look, this is how you helped me. And I, and I want to say that to other people, too. Like, do you know how much you helped me? And to just spend probably years just finding out whose lives you helped makes all of the sadness and hardships of ministry disappear in my mind when I think of that.
0: I love that. Yeah. Our our main mission in California is we went there as missionaries, knowing the culture we were heading into our the mission of our church was to encourage equip and empower people to live on mission for Christ and when you see people walking in that you're encouraging them like no you can do this and you're empowering them and you're equipping them and they're going out and they're you know sharing the love of Jesus with their neighbors or their coworkers and that is like the ultimate joy i think and a benefit of just like you said seeing the fruit in people's lives and their lives changed dramatically um because of the work of Christ in their life i think that is it's really the ultimate joy. And I know for me as a worship leader and probably for you too, when I lead worship, I look out in the audience and I just I see how God is like using me as a conduit of his spirit and people are like raising their hands, they're worshiping. And that to me, and this is me personally, because I don't preach or anything like that, but as my ministry being worship, I see that and I'm like, wow, God, you're so good. And you are like, again, a conduit of his spirit and people see that. And then you can like lead them into the Holy of Holies, you know, on Sunday mornings. And that is just that for me, that is such a benefit. And I, I love that aspect of it.
1: Oh, yes. Everyone who's been on worship ministry knows exactly how that feels to look out and see that and be like, wow, I can't believe God used me to okay. help draw people to him. It's just such a privilege.
0: Yes, it is a privilege. I agree. Um, okay, to wrap this up. Uh, craziest thing you've ever been told or has been said to you as a pastor's wife. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> I can't even think of it myself. I don't know why I asked this question.
1: <laughs> oh my goodness. Yeah, I'd like to hear what yours is someday. That would,
0: okay.
1: be, that would be interesting. Oh my goodness. I have so many. I have so many. Um I'll 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 share more of a funny one because some of the ones might be just too sad. Okay. Um, but I look very young and I realize that and I don't like that but it's just how God's made me. I I try to dress like a mom but my daughter's always like, "Mom, you look like a teenager." I'm just trying to look, you know, fashionable. I I, I can't help that I have a baby face. But when my husband and I were first youth pastors, we just got the position. I was like 22, okay? This is I am a young and I am very, very, very green in ministry as well. And um, uh, I was sitting in my husband's office after church on a Sunday, and a lady came by and poked her head in the office. And she goes, where's Pastor Dan? And I said, Oh, he's, he's not here right now. Do you want me to give him a message? And she looked at me as if she was confused, disgusted and annoyed with me and just walked off. And I thought, everyone has a bad day. Like, I don't know why she treated me like that, but I always think the best of people and thought, oh, she probably just had a bad day. It's okay. No, she came back to me a week later and had like the saddest look on her face after church and said, I'm so sorry I treated you that way. I thought you were a teenager in the youth group. (laughs) And I'm like, that's how you treat... You You shouldn't treat anybody like that. But I was like, you thought I was just a teen and... And that happens to me a lot where people don't believe I am the senior pastor's wife. They, yep. you know, I've even had people say you don't look old enough to have ministry experience. And I'm like, oh. you want me to tell you, you look too old. Cause I can bring <laughs> it on. I can say you look too old. That's how much it hurts when you say that. So. Go.
0: Exactly. Oh, that's fantastic. Yeah. I will have to think about that and get back to you on what the craziest thing is. I mean, I don't know if I have had anything crazy said to me, but I'd really have to dig deep to find it. So. Awesome. Well, I'm so glad that we could talk tonight. I want, Where can people find you on social media?
1: So I have an Instagram page that is dedicated to teaching parents how to keep their kids and teens safe online. And I don't share a whole lot about my personal life. I don't share anything about my kids because it's a public page. Mm-hmm. Um, and I do share some pastor's wife life issues as well. And that is dot kids.teens.safe. And that is the Instagram handle. Keep yes. kids teen safe with dots in there. And it's the exact same name on Facebook. Keep kids, teens safe. Okay.
0: I will put that in the show notes too. And I will probably have you on again to talk about that. Cause I know that you are so passionate about keeping kids safe online. It's such a, such a, well, we won't even get into it. Cause that's like a whole nother podcast, but I know that that is a passion of yours and you do an amazing job of bringing awareness to parents and giving them tools to, help keep their kids and teens safe online because it is it's almost an epidemic right now so i appreciate you doing that and i will again put that in the show notes where you can find casey on social media but other than that thank you for joining me today don't get off yet casey okay because i want to talk to you once i push end on this (laughs) we got more to talk about after this recording is over (laughs) for sure but i just (laughs) want to thank everybody today for joining me again you can find casey online I'll put that in the show notes. But other than that, thanks for joining us today. And we will talk to you guys next time. Bye. Thank
1: you. Bye.
0: Well, that was such a fun episode. And I want to thank Casey again for being outside of Ryan, my first guest on the podcast. So thank you again, Casey. I'm so glad you guys joined us today. Again, you can always follow me on Instagram at the unlikely pastor wife. You can also follow Casey on her Instagram. And that is in the show notes. Please also like, and subscribe from whatever platform that you are listening to. It helps my podcast get to get out to more people. I appreciate all of you and we will see you next week. Bye friends.